Hello and welcome into Oyster Boys Radio, a college football recruiting podcast. I'm 24-7 Sports National Recruiting Analyst Cooper Patagna, alongside my colleague Andrew Ivins. And Drew, sometimes you got to will it into existence. Over a year now, we've been trying to put a podcast together. And finally, the Oyster Boys have some audio waves to talk a little college football recruiting. Congratulations are in order and, and what a time to do it. With the college football transfer portal opening up December 5th, we have signing day on December 21st. Drew, we're finally here, my man. <laughs> we are. Pilot episode, right? Pilot episode. Um, you know, Preps to Pros was, is, is the TV show on, on YouTube. Me and you have wanted to get into the nitty and gritty. We've done some Twitter spaces, but I think this is going to be a good kind of avenue uh, and area where we can talk about what we want to. I know you want to get some guests on this thing eventually. Um, but it should be fun because college football recruiting is is a 365-day-a-year thing. So this is going to take you through the spring eval period, the camps, the visits, and all that stuff. And, and like you said, um, not a better time to jump in because the coaching carousel is spinning, right? You got the quarterback dominoes and shuffling, all that stuff. And then uh, we're going to have coaches out on the road here starting on Friday. So um, not, never a better time to to jump in. Like Andrew said, a lot going on in the world of recruiting 365 days out of the year, 24-7. A quick introduction on Andrew Ivan's been covering uh, college football recruiting the last seven years at 24-7 Sports. He's been on the Notre Dame beat as well as Miami, now covers the states of Florida and Georgia. For me, I've been at 24-7 Sports over the last year, used to work in the college football uh, player personnel side. Most recent stops, Oregon, Washington, Michigan. Uh, so excited to be doing this, but Drew, let's let's start with the coaching carousel. It's been a busy uh, a couple of days. Nebraska uh, getting on the board with Matt Rule, the former Carolina Panthers head coach. Wisconsin makes a strong hire, and Luke Fickle from the University of Cincinnati, Arizona State, hires Oregon offensive coordinator Kenny Dillingham. Uh, from what you've seen over the last couple of days, is there one of these hires that really strikes you? I love them all, right? It seems like great fits all around. Um, it, and really, I think it it boils down to two that have been my my favorite, and that's Nebraska um, tabbing Matt Rule to take over there for Scott Frost and Lincoln. And then Wisconsin hires Luke Fickle, who came over from Cincinnati. And, and to me, I, I think it's kind of the same thing. Both those guys um, are kind of program builders, but more importantly, they're player developers and um, guys that have ne haven't always gotten the best of the best, the, the highest ranked individuals. Um, so they've had to uh, go in and find guys with traits that aren't as um, aren't as as known to the, the average recruiting fan or yeah, the average college football fan. So for, for me, the one that I love is Luke Fickle to Wisconsin, but it seems like everyone's talking about that. But uh, I'll say this, Cooper, I don't want to go down a weird tangent episode one, but last night, uh, so, you know, Sunday night when after the Fickle news breaks, right, I see on my timeline like GQ Hardaway, who's a former four-star corner, played in the All -Amer Under Armour All-America game. He, he announces that he's in the transfer portal and it's his photo. And I'm like, yeah, I think Lee Kiffin retweeted it, but I'm like, damn, like Luke Fickle got that kid to Cincinnati. And that gets me excited because 
Wisconsin, it's it's a developmental program. Like they they're known for developing players, and um, you know the, the expectation has never been, hey, we're going to get these highly re- rated recruits. They're going to come in and they're going to play right away. Um, so I think Fickle, who had found so much success there at Cincinnati, w- was getting guys to the NFL. I mean, heck, last year. You know, Cincinnati, the Bearcats had the third most players selected in the NFL draft. And I think he can go to Wisconsin and he's going to elevate the talent level and the pool. Um, and it, it, he's not going to feel the pressure. He's a player developer going to a player development school. I think it's a perfect marriage. I think Luke Fickle is an elite coach. And, and I know it's early. Only a couple of these vacancies have, have been filled uh, early on in this process. But uh, credit to Wisconsin and the job that they did. I think a lot of people thought that they were going to go uh, remove the interim tag from uh, defensive coordinator Jim Leonard, who was four and three over seven games after taking over for Paul Christ. But uh, to be able to to work the back channels with Luke Fickle and see the availability with him and obviously uh, see the mutual interest between Wisconsin and Luke Fickle. But this is a guy 57 and 18 in six seasons at the University of Cincinnati started with the Bearcats in 2017, first group of five program uh, to reach the college football playoff last year. Drew, you mentioned uh, his ability uh, as a player development program uh, with the Bearcats last year. I mean, Georgia, 15 players drafted. That's most in NFL history uh, from one program, Alabama uh, with 10. And then you have the outlier, the Cincinnati Bearcats uh, in the American Athletic Conference with nine. Uh, so that goes to show uh, the job that Luke Fickle and his staff have done on the recruiting trail, not only from a player development standpoint, but from a talent acquisition standpoint uh, at a group of five program. Uh, that's a pretty astounding job. And Drew, I think me and you talked about Wisconsin uh, throughout the year multiple times. And although there has seemed to be a formula for success uh, throughout the 2000s, to me, that uh recipe it had started to seem like it was becoming stale um and you look at wisconsin 73rd uh in the recruiting rankings now and obviously uh they've been dealing with uh, with a coaching change but to me there's always been more meat left on the bone uh when it comes to wisconsin and madison and i think luke fickle in my opinion i tweeted it yesterday but i think in less than three years he's going to have them uh, competing for a Big Ten title and in the college football playoff conversation. Uh, to me, he's always been one of the most fascinating names on the coaching market. And I think Wisconsin is the benefactor of some good fortune here. I mean, Notre Dame opens last year with Brian Kelly's surprising departure to LSU. Uh, and the Irish make a quick pivot to defense coordinator Marcus Freeman at the time, which I think um, – in the long term, the the early returns uh, have been mixed, but I, I think we've seen some promise there, uh, certainly on the recruiting trail. Um, and then you look around the the Big Ten landscape: Ohio State with Ryan Day, uh, Jim Harbaugh at Michigan, uh, James Franklin at Penn State. You kind of wonder what was going to be Luke Fickle's next move, and I I was starting to think, hey, he might be at Cincinnati for the long term. <laughs> Wisconsin opens up uh, somewhat surprisingly earlier in the season when, when uh, Paul Christ resigns. And to me, Drew, I listen, I, I try to I try to stay away from it, uh, like the, the home run hire type of stuff. But I love this fit probably more than than any other hire we've seen in the last couple of days. I agree with you, Cooper. I mean, I was with my my dad over the holiday weekend and he's 
he says he's asking me, hey, who's going to have that that Brian Kelly type of hire, right? The, the one that you didn't really see coming, uh, and, and the coach comes in and, and finds success right away. And I didn't have an answer for him, but I think Luke Fickle fits into that category. And, and you you toss out that word out there, stale, when it came to the Badgers' recruiting efforts. I mean, uh, twenty twenty one cycle, they finished sixteenth in our in our composite rankings. Um, last year they were 44th and, and now they've, they've dropped all the way to the 80th, like FCS Campbell's ranked higher than them. And I think Fickle's going to come in. I think he's going to completely change the, the thought process and kind of revamp it. I would expect they're going to have monster recruiting weekends in, in the month of June and, and June and July. Cause that's what he was doing at Cincinnati. You know, he's had a bulk of his classes in place and then they go for BPA best player available. Um, as the year goes on and they find success. So uh, I think it's going to be completely different. I think Wisconsin's not going to be afraid to go back into Florida. I mean, they've had success there before, but I think under Fickle, that's kind of been an area they've targeted. I expect them to be in other parts of SEC country. And then let's not forget USC, UCLA, they come to the Big Ten. That allows them to recruit west of the Mississippi and and get out to those regions as well. I'm excited about this one. I think you said it there at the end. Uh, the geographical recruiting footprint is definitely going to be something uh, I'm going to be keeping my eye on, eye on uh, personally to see what Luke Fickle does if he's going to uh, invest heavily in the Midwest, which is what I expect. But nationally, uh, are we going to see him extend that footprint? Uh, Cincinnati right now under Luke Fickle uh, before he departed for Wisconsin yesterday. Uh, three-star quarterback commit Brady Drogosh uh, from De La Salle Collegiate in Michigan. Drew, we've talked about him a little bit, 6'4", 200 pounds. Uh, certainly a guy, we like his athletic profile, multi-sport athlete. Uh, but if you're a Wisconsin fan, name to know right there as Luke Fickle looking for his signal caller uh, in his first cycle a couple weeks to go to early signing day on December 21st. But Drew, let's let's get to Nebraska now. Nebraska, to me, they needed to get this higher right um, and we just spent the last uh, five or 10 minutes or so talking about the fit with Luke Fickle. And I think the last two cycles, uh, we've seen uh, hires really kind of uh, mold to the program's identity. And I think we've seen that with Luke Fickle to Wisconsin. Another hire that I really like is Matt Rule to Nebraska. This is a guy that uh, has a reputation, uh, one of the best in the country in college football when it comes to building back programs uh, to what they used to be. He did it at Temple. He did it at Baylor as well. You look at his record at Temple uh, from 2013 to 2016, two and 10 in the first season. Then after that, three straight bowl appearances, six and six and back-to-back 10-win seasons in 15 and 16. He walks into a hornet's nest uh, at Baylor in 2017 after Art Bryles three years later in 2019. He's got an 11-win season uh, and an appearance in the Sugar Bowl. So Matt Rule, uh, if Nebraska was looking for somebody to get them back on track, I don't know if there's a better option than Matt Rule, Drew. I agree. I agree. I love this one for so many different reasons, and really – it's just Matt Rule's whole roster building philosophy. And um, a few years ago, back in 2019, Chris Hummer, our, our colleague at 24-7 Sports, he wrote a story about the analytics revolution. And, and it was all about what Rule had done at Temple and what he had done at Baylor. There's also a podcast, if you uh, hit it in, in your Apple feed, 
uh, search Chris Summer, um, Matt Rule. It's going to come up an old College Football Daily podcast. And I was actually listening to this morning and basically Matt Rule, you know, when he was at Temple, he knew he was never going to recruit. Uh, he was never going to get the best players in his backyard. That was all. They, those guys were going to go to Penn State. They were going to go to Pitt. So it, it, he was looking for traits, right? He's a coach that covets the height, the length, the speed, the multi-sport, um, and that's how he was able to turn things around at Temple. The same thing he goes to Baylor after the Art Bryles scandal, and Baylor was in a very, very bad spot, um, and he built his roster by recruiting traits, by pouring through track data, um, and, and taking kids just based off testing numbers, right? Uh, I think Evan Cooper, one of his kind of his soldiers who is expected to follow him, he was at Baylor and Temple with Rule, uh, was with the Carolina Panthers. He's expected to have a job on that initial Cornhuskers staff like he's got a famous line like if you're going to miss miss fast and to me like inject that all into my veins so i'm fired up about it because we know nebraska geographically it's kind of in a unique spot right there's not much talent there so i i I think nebraska they are going to get into every corner of the country they're going to find these athletic testing freaks and and he's going to revamp that roster and coop you know (laughs) They already have one of our favorite players committed from a you know, height, length, speed testing standpoint. That's that's Malachi Coleman, uh, the kid right there in Lincoln. He committed to Mickey Joseph. We have him right now as a top 100 guy. I think, you know, you kind of have a grade two round on him. This was a guy that was on my freaks list. Um, he's just he's tall. He's long. He's got great track data, basketball. He can dunk and, and all that stuff. I think Matt Rule, as soon as that press conference is over, um, and, and he gets out on the road, he's he's definitely going to check out Malachi Coleman first. Absolutely. And, and we could talk about Malachi Coleman all day. I think, uh, you know, we were kind of mentioning it yesterday when we talked about uh, this before we recorded this podcast. But, you know, Malachi Coleman, obviously the darling uh, of our evaluation process when it comes to that height, weight, speed philosophy, which is something that you're going to hear us uh, talk about a lot is, is Nicholas Harbor uh, out of the D.C. area. Uh, six, four and a half, 225 pounds. He is uh, rare to say the least. Uh, somebody that recorded a sub 10, 300 meter. I mean, Malachi Coleman is not far behind uh, when, when you look at him and in, in terms of the athletic profile, uh, sub 10, five uh, in his career in track and field on the hundred meter. And uh, another guy that's a, a two-way player uh, dynamic on the offensive side of the ball. I think that's where we'll see him at the next level. But Drew, going back to, to what you uh, were, were speaking of with Matt Rule, his philosophy at Baylor in terms of the talent acquisition process, what did they look for? To me, uh, studying Matt Rule and where he's been and how he's adjusted to the places that he's been, he invested heavily in area recruiting at Temple, uh, really painted New Jersey and Pennsylvania strongly, did the same at Baylor. And why wouldn't you uh, in a very fruitful state of Texas? That being said, the the talent level uh, in, in terms of how rich uh, collegiate prospects are in the state of Nebraska is going to be a challenge. That's going to be the obstacle for Matt Rule. So you wonder, and I think we got a pretty good feel on this, uh, how involved Nebraska is going to be involved in the transfer portal. I think Matt Rule, listen, even though his tenure at the NFL level wasn't successful, 11 and 27, less than three years into a seven-year contract with the Panthers, 
I think you can say, hey, this is a guy um, that has uh, really has the resume to show uh, that he knows what he's looking for in terms of being able uh, to find uh, and get players into his program and develop them uh, to have the opportunity to play on Sundays. And if he can do that at Nebraska, I think Nebraska uh, really starts to become a program where they brand themselves, hey, as an opportunity to be a bounce-back program. Uh, certainly the way Lane Kiffin has done that at Ole Miss. I mean, I, I think uh, Nebraska will struggle on the front end uh, in terms of the talent acquisition process and high school being able to sign these guys outright. But uh, with the transfer portal and the luxury that is, I think Nebraska can sell themselves as a place to say, hey, listen, there's going to be a lot of opportunity to come here, play, play on the biggest stage, one of the biggest stages in college football uh, in a very uh, new and revamped Big Ten with USC and UCLA uh, coming into it next year uh, as soon as next season. So um, I think Nebraska's got a lot of opportunity here, Drew, and then from a big picture standpoint, I mean, you look at the Big Ten West right now. I mean, who's the favorite, right? We got uh, Purdue playing in the Big Ten championship against Michigan. Um, that that side uh, of the conference is, is certainly down right now, especially with Iowa struggling, Illinois starting to find some footing, uh, Minnesota and P.J. Fleck uh, starting to become – somewhat of a of a consistent presence there but I wouldn't be surprised if in two years it's Wisconsin or Nebraska coming out of the Big Ten West yeah and just a few more things that stick out to me on on rule uh remember back in 2020 when the Panthers drafted all defensive players I think it was for the first time in, in NFL history I don't know how much of that was him or um, the general manager but you know that's that's kind of unique to me in, in terms of a guy that is thinking like that in a way of um, defense is going to win games. I mean, all seven of their picks were on defenders. Uh, so that, that, that jumps out to me. And then, you know, what, what does he do at, at quarterback? Cause I think there's going to be a, an interesting name that eventually enters the transfer portal here. And this is a little bit speculation, but uh, Jake Garcia, the, the former elite 11 finalist, top two, four, seven talent. That was a long time USC commit ended up flipping to Miami. Um, I could see him entering the portal and his dad actually went to Nebraska. So I, 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 I want to know how much does he, he being rule attack that, that free agent mercenary market. Uh, and if he does, there's a potential uh, big time arm that would have direct ties to big red right there. And Nebraska already has a quarterback committed in the 2023 cycle. That is William Watson. Uh, Drew, but there's a pretty good quarterback in the state of Nebraska currently committed to Oklahoma State in Mike Gundy. That is Zane Flores. So uh, one of the first calls we already talked about Malachi Coleman. I, I would expect Mr. Flores would get a call here soon uh, from Matt Rule if he hasn't already. But Drew, the last hire uh, that we'll talk about today, that is Kenny Dillingham, the offense coordinator at Oregon. He ends up at Arizona State. He becomes the youngest head coach in the Power Five at only age 32 uh, with the Sun Devils. He walks in uh, to a very difficult situation at Arizona State. Uh, Herm Edwards, uh, you know, they always say, leave it better than you found. I don't know if Herm Edwards did that. Uh, NCAA, NCAA investigation uh, hanging over the head uh, of Kenny Dillingham. And you look at this one on paper, Drew, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, Kenny Dillingham, a lot of ties to Arizona State, a graduate, 
of Arizona State. Uh, his wife went there as well, uh, coached high school ball, I believe, at Chaparral uh, in, in Arizona. Um, so this is a guy that's very well connected to the Sun Devils program. To me, Drew, there's just not a there's not a ton of experience here. Uh, so if there is one hire that I'm not scratching my head on, I certainly understand the logic. But if there is one hire that felt like predictable in terms of like, OK, what what is the theme here? I mean, we heard Kenny Dillingham's name uh, early in the process. Uh, I don't think it was any secret that Kenny Dillingham wanted this job and was jockeying for it uh, very diligently. Uh, behind the scenes, but this is one that I have circled that I think Arizona State, at least perceptionally in football circles, is regarded uh, as a very solid job. And I think they would have had options here um, before they decided to go the Kenny Dillingham route. Uh, I'm interested to, to kind of get your feedback on this one. I mean, I can see this going any other direction, you know, like I could see us in, in two or three years being like, what were they thinking? I mean, Kenny Dillingham, credit to him. He he is, he's essentially our peer Cooper, right? You're 30, I'm 31. He's Kenny's 32. So you, you love to see the young guy getting a shot. And I don't think there's anyone out there that wanted this job more than, more than him. Um, it's just, is he ready for it is kind of my thing. And I know he's been the offensive coordinator. He was a big reason why Oregon found so much success in, in year one um, under Dan Lanning on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, remember, he he's the guy that first brought Bo Nix to Auburn, right, and then got Bo Nix to, to Oregon and, and really turned him around. So I, I just can see this seems like a big roll of the dice to me, and I get – while it looks appealing to a, an administration, I mean, it's a hot, hot young coordinator coming from um, returning back home, right? That, that's what you want. And you would think if Dillingham wins, he's not going to be looking to leave. But uh, this this seems like a, a big, big risk. And they took a big risk last time when they hired Herm Edwards. Um, I'll, I'll say this, with, with Dillingham, I don't think it's going to be much of a question about how they recruit. They're going to recruit extremely well under him. And I thought it was telling over the weekend after the news broke, you had two of what I consider the nation's top recruits. And I know you would agree with me publicly kind of congratulate Dillingham. And the first was Dante Moore, um, the five-star quarterback out of Detroit who is committed to Oregon. He, he, he put out a tweet about Dillingham going to Arizona State, and I thought that was a, a classy gesture. And obviously the quarterback commit's going to be familiar with the OC, but it seemed like no hard feelings in, in any way. And then the, the other one that probably most people don't know and, and flew under the radar is Richard Young. Um, I think he's, what, our number three or number four ranked running back, kind of a borderline five-star prospect down in Florida in my backyard he put on his Instagram story congratulating Dillingham uh, on his his getting the job at Arizona State, and that's notable to me because uh, Dillingham was the reason why Oregon was in the mix for Richard Young, and you know Florida to Oregon that's such a far distance. So I think Dillingham's going to go after the big dogs. I think that's kind of kind of the he he understands that that recruiting is is the lifeline of a program. So they're going to recruit. I would not be surprised, Coop, if, you know, this this time next year heading into signing day 2023, like they have a top 20 class. I would not be shocked at all. No, that wouldn't shock me either. And it's not as, as much of a question when it comes to recruiting. I think, you know, he's been at places, especially at Oregon, uh, where I can tell you recruiting is at the forefront 
uh, under Dan Lanning. And, and, you know, for him, it's, it's good perspective, right? I mean, it, he, he's leaving and staying within the same conference in the Pac-12 footprint. And you can recruit to Arizona State, um, even amidst everything that is going on externally um, outside of the program and in terms of the, the, the NCAA investigation. So um, I expect Kenny Dillingham to recruit well there by Arizona State standards. I, I just think, like, you know, there's a lot of hype around Kenny Dillingham, at least perceptionally, you wonder how much substance there is one year at Oregon and give him a lot of credit. He did a really good job with Bo Nix, somebody that he had experience with at Auburn. Oregon uh, turns in a top five scoring offense this season. Bo Nix, uh, the best season of his career uh, and rejuvenates uh, a once very talented, uh, you know, passer uh, that had these type of expectations throughout his career, finally puts it together uh, in Eugene. And then before that, at Florida State under Mike Norvell for a quick cup of coffee at Auburn under uh, Gus Malzahn, and then at Memphis. So you, to me, I, I kind of ask the question, where does he draw from? Uh, where, where is the majority of his experience that he says, okay, this is how I want to build my program? Um, and listen, this is a guy uh, that has quickly ascended through the ranks um, and has definitely done a really good job of, I would say, marketing himself uh, publicly and put himself in position uh, to to be the head coach at a place like Arizona State. Uh, but out of the three that we just talked about, Luke Fickle, Matt Rule, obviously two guys uh, who are very established uh, within the college football ranks. Kenny Dillingham, uh, the youngest head coach now in the Power Five, zero head coaching experience. I think you said it, Drew. It's a calculated roll of the dice. And if you're Arizona State, I understand it. Uh, but I would not be surprised if in two to three years uh, we're looking back on this one and, and maybe we're having a different conversation about, hey, why didn't this work out? Um, and I would lean more to that side than I would say, hey, OK, Kenny Dillingham is is, is the right guy for this job. Uh, so we'll see what happens there with Kenny Dillingham at Arizona State. Certainly uh, an intriguing uh, hire for sure. Uh, by Ray Anderson in the crew. Uh, Drew, as we wrap it up, the uh, I, I feel like the coaching carousel is only picking up steam here. But, um, you know, over the last 24 hours, there there has been some smoke that Georgia Tech is starting to zero in uh, on one of their lead candidates, and that is Tulane head coach Willie Fritz, a guy that is 41 and 45 in six seasons in New Orleans, three straight bowl appearances from 2018 uh, to 2020. I think the theme of this show, uh, we can say, has been fit, right? And, and when I look at Georgia Tech, uh, you know, there was a lot of uh, a lot of talk uh, during the season about uh, maybe a name or two uh, that would 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 work well there at Georgia Tech. Deion Sanders being one of those names uh, that was brought up, but Georgia Tech is uh, a, a particular job, uh, high standard of academics and, and values. Uh, in terms of academically, um, it, it's it's a difficult place uh, to recruit to because it's a, it's a little bit different uh, than their counterparts. But Drew, uh, Willie Fritz to Georgia Tech, if this does play out of, over the next couple of days, I really like this fit there for the Yellow Jackets. I agree. And, and you know, Georgia Tech's kind of a unique job. It's it's in this big city. Um, you're kind of the the hub for all these SEC and ACC schools. I mean, go to 
the Atlanta airport on any fall Saturday and there's people flying in to see this team and that team. So it's just kind of there, right? And it's just downtown. Um, and, and you're in the shadows of of uh, of Georgia and, and Kirby Smart and all that stuff. And, you know, what does that mean? Well, at Tulane, you're also in a, a, a city. Um, you're, you're second tier. You're playing second fiddle to not only LSU, but the, the Saints and, and, and the Pelicans. Coop, and I know you could speak way more to this better. I mean, you are a New Orleans native. So I think that makes sense. I think there's some some similarities between the two schools. And I think Tulane low-key has been like recruiting power five talent over the past few years. And, and the two examples I always use are uh, C.J. Donaldson, right, who was the, 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 run, the running back for West Virginia that – started off with a, a monster true freshman season that, that that was a kid that was committed to Tulane that West Virginia flipped at the buzzer right the other the other guy they lost at the buzzer last cycle was Gabe Akis, um the edge rusher for Illinois that made a bunch of headlines so Tulane you know they've done a great job they understand who they are and I think if Willie were to take over there in Atlanta um you know, there would be some substance to what he's trying to do. And, and they would turn that roster around because they know how to make the good evaluation. So that one w- would get me excited as well. And it's it's a weak division they're in. I, I could see them going in there and, and quickly becoming an issue for schools like Miami. Uh, and I think the roster would, would have some NFL talent in, in no short time. It's not a sexy hire potentially, but it's the right hire. That's kind of the way that I look about it with Willie Fritz in, in Georgia Tech. If that were to happen, you know, I kind of think of Dave Kloss and Wake Forest, uh, guys that have experience with these type of institutions. So we'll see how that plays out. Uh, Georgia Tech, uh, it, hopefully uh, trying to get this one done by the end of next week. Willie Fritz uh, has taken Tulane to their first ever American Athletic Conference Championship. They'll play Central Florida in New Orleans big week uh, at Yulman Stadium uh, for the Green Wave faithful. Uh, Drew, to to round it out here on the coaching carousel, um, some, I would say, uh, not shocking, but somewhat surprising news uh, late night on Saturday night. David Shaw, after 12 seasons, head coach of Stanford, he decides to step down 96 and 54 uh, one of, if not the most accomplished coach in Stanford football history. I know me and you have had a lot of conversations about Stanford, but when I look at this job, I think a lot of people um, see the difficulties and the obstacles uh, from an admission standpoint at being at such a high academic institution uh, as Stanford in Silicon Valley, in Palo Alto, uh, and they see some of the limitations with that program. That being said, working uh, in, in the same footprint uh, in the same conference uh, and having to go head to head with Stanford, especially at the University of Washington, I can tell you there are a lot of advantages uh, to being at a place like Stanford as well uh, in, in terms of what they offer and the power of their degree. Uh, those are the the type of players, uh, guys like Trent McDuffie, Elijah Molden, that we were fortunate uh, to kind of grapple away from them at the University of Washington. But I still think Stanford has some appeal uh, on the national level. And, and you talk about unique jobs, kind of similar to, to Georgia Tech. This is on a completely different scale. I'm really kind of fascinated to see what direction Stanford goes here, Drew. I think first call, we kind of we like going through this process of talking through the hypotheticals but 
if I'm Stanford, uh, and, and this is uh, very much already played out in the public, but I think the no-brainer here uh, is a guy that I used to work for and Chris Peterson, uh, who served uh, at the University of Washington, Boise State. Uh, before that, I think from an alignment standpoint, his core values and what Stanford is and aspires to be are a perfect fit. Uh, and I'm not sure Chris Peterson is dying to get back into football, but if there was one job that just made a little bit too much sense for him, I think it would be this one. I, I want to know if if anyone smells blood in the water with that with that commit list. I mean, Stanford, uh, for a team that won three games and, and played a lot of competition and football in front of no one, I mean, they're number 29 in the rankings right now. They have two of our favorite tight ends committed in Walker Lions and All-American out of California. And then Jaden Platt, number another Freaks List member, kid from Texas, insane testing numbers. So... Uh, what what do I mean? I mean, they they can at- attract good talent. That has been the case. Now it it, it has been difficult um, in certain circumstances, but th- there are guys they can get future NFL guys that they can get. And I just want to know as this plays out because I don't feel like Stanford's going to be one that that's filled right away. Right? It, it feels like that one's going to take a few weeks. So you know, Walker Lines, he's a kid that visited Georgia. Does anyone try to make a run at him? Jaden Platt you know, right there in Texas. Uh, That's something I'm keeping my eye on. You know, the word that comes up in these coaching searches and really when you hear it from the introductory press conferences of head coaches and and what they're looking for, we heard a lot last year with Brian Kelly. We continue to hear it is alignment. And, and I think when it, when it comes to Stanford, I think that is so important because this is going to have to be a partnership between uh, a head coach that has aspirations uh, of making Stanford a national presence and an administration that has to have enough social awareness to understand the limitations uh, of the academic admissions process, but also understand how the game of college football is rapidly changing. Uh, And not so much in the NIL space, but when it comes to the transfer portal as well, uh, I think that's where Stanford – has certainly been restricted when it comes to the graduate student and not being able to get those prospects or players uh, into the university. So uh, that is certainly a conversation that I would expect uh, to take place between any viable head coaching candidate uh, in the administration there at Stanford. Like I said, this is probably the most unique and prestigious academic institution in the country when it comes to big time college football. Um, I love this job. I mean, I've, I've had it circled for a long time. I think Stanford uh, is a place that is not really impacted so much uh, by everything that is now college football uh, and you can build it the right way. But in terms of uh, being successful uh, at a place uh, like Stanford, I think early identification is so critical uh, and early identification uh, in that admissions process as well. But being able to get these guys to campus, I think if you're any head coach and, and you're saying, listen, if I can get the right type of guys to campus, and what I mean by that, those are the players that you feel are not only good enough to play for your program, but they're smart enough to get into school. If you can get those guys on campus early, I think the alignment of the values between what Stanford is and who they're trying to appeal to, uh, I think that relationship 
uh, is very strong and there's a lot of appeal there. So uh, Stanford, uh, I would say one of the hottest jobs on the market. Uh, we'll keep our eyes on that one. Drew, outside of Chris Peterson, uh, is there any one guy that maybe you think we should be keeping an eye on for this one? I'm going to defer to you, man. You're the uh, West Coast expert, so I, <laughs> I got no names. Yeah, I would say I'd say the military academies. I don't know how realistic that is, but I would just expect. I mean, the commonalities between those programs. I think Troy Troy Calhoun at at, at Air Force in Colorado Springs has done a tremendous job. He's got a strong resume. I think you look at uh, Ken uh, Niamatololo uh, at Navy. Uh, obviously, somebody whose name a couple years ago was thrown in the mix for the Arizona job. I think he's had some Power Five opportunities before, uh, and then Jeff Monken. Uh, at West Point uh, in New York, I think is another strong, uh, viable candidate. I think the wild card here, Drew, uh, in my opinion, uh, and this is just speculation, would be Kalani Sataki from BYU. Uh, you know, I think uh, there's a fit there to be had. BYU moving to the, the Big 12 uh, imminently, so I wonder how that plays into it as well. But uh, certainly Stanford. We'll keep our eyes on that one. Uh, very intriguing. But, Drew, that about wraps it up for today, the first Oyster Boys uh, radio episode. Uh, what are your thoughts, man? <laughs> Good, man. Uh, you know, this is what we're trying to do. I don't know how much of, of the coaching stuff is going to be a regular, but breaking down recruiting classes and, and stuff like that. I mean, I, I think that's that's kind of the MO. Glad we have the space to do it for sure. No, absolutely. And uh, definitely something, uh, as we said in the beginning of the show, that Andrew and I have been working on for quite some time. So we are happy uh, that our aspirations uh, have fully materialized uh, into us doing this twice a week. And, and like I said, uh, the format of the show is, is going to change with the time of the year. Obviously, right now, uh, a lot of coaching changes and the coaching carousel fully fired up over the next couple of weeks, it's going to be more, uh, I would say, recruiting talk, uh, as it always will be, but more recruiting talk uh, as it alludes to signing day in a couple of weeks. And, and Drew's silly season, I feel like, is at like full force right now, as you call it. Uh, you got to keep your eyes kind of glued to 247sports.com. A lot of moving parts here, uh, especially among the quarterback ranks. So uh, keep it locked on that. Keep it locked with the Oyster Boys. Uh, we will be busy over the next couple of weeks. We'll do our best uh, to bring you all the up-to-date information and our raw reaction on everything happen happening in the college football recruiting world. But for now, guys, appreciate you joining us and look forward to seeing more of you. For Andrew Ivins, I'm Christopher Tegna. We'll see you next time.